0: on maynard.com.au Ladies and gentlemen, I'm at my usual cafe, but I'm not talking to my usual person. I'm talking to Jimmy Thompson, who, along with Sandy McGregor, has been the author of Tunnel Rats versus the Taliban, how Aussie sappers led the way in the war on terror. Why did you decide to concentrate on engineers in this book? Was it because of your Vietnam
1: book Tunnel Rats? Uh- Absolutely. Um, I've become a little bit obsessed with engineers. Uh, Sandy was a a, a sapper. I never served myself. But the engineers, to me, it's the ultimate soldier. They make things, they blow things up, and whenever tricky work is required, they're the guys they call forward. We mustn't forget the role of dogs in the war as well. We certainly did have... I forget the official acronym, but the Explosive Device Detection Dogs... They are highly trained and they they could even smell bullets. You could smell the, the the little charges and bullets, the very good ones. An incredible piece of technology, a dog. They're able to sniff, and they do it all for the reward is to get to play with a tennis ball. It's not even the food or the treats. It's a tennis ball. Yep. All they want to do is play. They just want to chase a ball, and if to get to chase a ball, it means they've got to find a bomb, then they'll find the bomb.
0: And what breed of dog do they normally have? I imagine the long-haired dash-hound wouldn't get much of a look in.
1: I don't think so. I don't know if they use them. They might have been handy for the smaller tunnels but uh, one of the handlers, in fact, it was a guy who ha- was a handler for the famous dog Sarbi,
0: the, the one that went missing. Someone said, don't forget to ask him about the dog that went missing. And it went missing for about six months or something, Yeah. Didn't it?
1: Private Sarbi, as it was known, should have been Sapper, should have been Sapper That's Sarby. Good. They were involved in a, 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 an ambush, and the handlers, the, the leash that he used that was attached to his uniform was severed by a bullet, so it shows you how close they came and of course the dog being smart takes cover and they were under severe fire a couple of people were shot they had to evacuate the wounded and they all piled into the back of a, a troop carrier and he, he the last thing he saw was the dog running along parallel to them but unable to keep up which was heartbreaking for him and he thought he'd lost the dog and then later on but he, he told everybody who came through tarrancourt camp who were going out into that area look out for my dog and eventually this American soldier said I think we've I think we've got your dog and they brought Sarbi back and um, checked the chip and it was indeed the uh, sapper Sarbi had returned well, I had one hill of a tennis ball game with it afterwards I would think so he had trained another dog he had to you know it was it wasn't yeah. a case of being faithful to his lost friend but he found that Sarby was still performing tremendously well she, I think she's a she, passed away just quite recently, just a couple of months ago, Mm. Uh, but she had a good life anybody who made the mistake of uh, coming in too quietly to wake him up We'd soon find out that Sarby was on uh, sentry duty for her master. And what breed was she again? I think she was a, a Labrador cross. I think the best ones they had were the Labrador crosses and uh, cattle dogs were very good. But the heavier dogs um, didn't like the heat. They suffered a bit in the heat. Speaking of heat, you you mentioned how
0: often the pack that the guys would be carrying would be like 50 kilograms on their back plus extra stuff. What they were expected to do as engineers in some some ways would almost exceed what the commandos or the, or the SAS people were expected because of the extra gear they
1: had to carry sometimes. There was that. One of the things that surprised me in, in researching this book was that they worked with SAS and commandos. They went out and patrol with them. Now, they weren't expected to be trained quite to that level of efficiency when it came to combat, but they had to they had to hold their own. They, they weren't there as passengers. So they were there to get the guys through the areas, to get them from A to B safely, deal with bombs and things like that, help them to find caches of weapons. But when they came under fire, it was time to unhook the rifle and, and, and do the stuff. Jimmy, when you're writing a book such as this, you've got to keep any politics out of it in some
0: ways because you're dealing with people who are pulling on the boot and out there doing what they were told so was it, it difficult to leave any personal political opinions or to bring any differing opinions into the way that the soldiers
1: felt um i didn't even try i have a huge admiration for anybody who puts on a uniform and goes out to fight for his country right reason or none it's a job you sign up for and you don't ask why you do your duty and I know a lot of the soldiers and a lot of the people we spoke to were, weren't 100% convinced about what they were doing or why they were doing it. And others just didn't ask the question. They followed their orders and, and, and that's what they were there to do. I did a bit of research at the, the beginning of the book into the history of Afghanistan and I was quite surprised to find out that as early as the early 20th century, the kings of Afghanistan, some of them were trying to modernize the country include women, educate women, all that, all that kind of stuff. But there was a real divide between the urban Afghanis and the rural ones. And the rural ones wanted things the way they'd always been. Most of them, not all of them. And so there was always that conflict. They would modernize and then there'd be a revolution. <laughs> Someone would be exiled or executed and they'd be back to square one. So it was interesting to put it into that context. The media tends to present Afghanistan has always been a primitive country And we're just seeing that primitiveness coming out when our troops are there. Well, that's not the case. In the 70s, it was a a resort country. There there was the three Ks on the hippie trail, Kathmandu, Kabul and Kuta Beach. And people went there and there were skiing holidays and all that. Just a totally different atmosphere from what, what it is now, because it's been in a state of war for so long now. Were the
0: Australians anywhere near any of the poppy fields as too? Because that's one of the main trades of Afghanistan as well. Did the, they have to the change their attitude to that sort of thing while they were there?
1: Well, I was, again, another surprising thing that came up in research was that the American Drug Enforcement Agency had a big presence in Afghanistan and in Uruzgan province, where our guy, which was our guy's area. Were they promoting the growing of it or were they trying yeah. to stop it? Back? They were trying <laughs> desperately to stop it for two reasons. They were trying to, to stop heroin getting to America or, and into Europe, but also the sale of opium was financing the Taliban's purchase of weapons. If they could stop the source then they could. They, it was a double whammy. So what could you possibly
0: replace heroin with as a crop that could possibly be a cash cow for the farmers to promote that? That would be incredibly difficult.
1: There were certain vegetables and grains and, and things that they, and the government tried to encourage them to plant and, and grow these things and, and to help to feed the community but It's a a simple economics. Nothing would give them as much money as as opium did. And when the Taliban take over an area, even though they they present as being an incredibly moral force for their religion, they turn a blind eye to the growth and use of poppies because uh, that is a cash
0: cow for them. What you wouldn't have had in your uh, Vietnam book was women on the front line.
1: Not on the Australian side. Well, there were women certainly on the front line on the Vietnamese side and it's one of the links that I... I wondered if it was a tenuous link. Um, that We've now got a couple of combat female combat engineers and uh, I said to one of the senior army guys, uh, Brigadier Ryan, in Vietnam the women were sent out into the minefields to dig up Australian mines and American mines and disarm them and take them away and reuse them against our guys. Mm, Particularly the claymores, they were very popular. The claymores and and the jumping jack, those horrendous mines that pop up out of the ground and then fire sideways. Well, the claymore mine has uh, stamped on it, point towards the enemy.
0: Well, what they are is basically a whole bunch of ball bearings that when the explosive behind them goes, they go in a certain directed stream. So you could direct them at a certain place. Yeah,
1: and uh, when they set up a camp in, in Vietnam, they would put the claymores out around the camp and they had clickers. They fired them by wire. So if any, if they were under attack, they would just fire these. But they would often discover that in the middle of the night, the Viet Cong had come in and turned them round. Mm. So they were firing mm. back at them. Mm. But to get back to the, your original question, mm. the, the use of women, the Viet Cong used women because their hands were smaller, they were able to do more delicate work, and they were more patient. And I said to Brigadier Ryan, are we now seeing that in the Australian Army, that you can use women as combat engineers because they will be better at this? And he said, absolutely. So there's a full
0: circle right there. <laughs> you said a few things that surprised you when you were researching, writing the book. What's the thing that you thought, well, bugger me, I didn't think that would be the case in Afghanistan.
1: The DEA thing really yeah. surprised me. I think also our guys were going out and building mosques. I expected them to build schools. Well, and. Well, when you consider that a lot of mosques, especially in rural areas, are the local school, it's a sheltered building. They were going out and building. Hospitals and schools, obviously, that's a good thing, and building bridges so that people who hadn't been able to cross a river were able to cross a river, and that
0: changed a lot. And how many of these remained afterwards? Because the Taliban would want to pull a lot of these things
1: down because they wouldn't want certain people to be educated, mainly uh, women. Well, that's where the mosque trick came in, because where the Taliban were quite happy to blow up bridges and schools and ho- even hospitals. Of course the religion they used as the their the raison d'etre was, would prevent them from blowing up a mosque. So it was the one thing we could build and leave in a community that contributed to the community that the Taliban weren't going to mess around with. School me here. In Iraq of course we
0: have a Shiite and the different sects of Islam. Is that an issue as much in Afghanistan?
1: No. Afghanistan is much more uh, tribal and that's where their code of honour comes back to your family and your tribe. So we had the tribal warlords who, the, and the mujahideen who saw off the Russians and the Russians left and left this incredible vacuum into which step the Taliban and Al-Qaeda who were supported by the Taliban. But they're different but connected. And that's when the whole thing got out of hand but they certainly get their support from pakistan and the pakistan secret service is intertwined with the taliban in ways we don't even want to think about a few
0: times the enemy they would think that we were americans and then when they got a bit closer they would discover that we had beards and they we were known as the guys with beards what is the big difference there
1: well, the Americans are, are very strict on the appearance. You, you've got to shave every day, whereas our guys have allowance. You've got to shave every day where there's running water. <laughs> right. And so the first opportunity, our special forces guys would use that, and they went around, and when they saw that there were troops in uniform with beards, they knew that they were dealing with a different kind of, of army. The equipment is incredible. The sappers carried a man pack. so when somebody was defusing a bomb they set up a f- kind of force field around themselves that blocked mobile phone signals yeah. so you know these kind of space age almost science fiction type things they, they were there you know and they all carried their own little mind detectors like strapped to the sides you know, not the old big handle thing that looks like a vacuum cleaner.
0: This stuff doesn't come cheap, but, I, but you were saying earlier how you were comparing the cost per man of the equipment in Vietnam and in Afghanistan for an engineer.
1: The equipment that they have, they're wearing body armour, they've got electronics, they've got night sight, they've got laser pointers. They've got the tennis ball for the dog. The tennis ball is extra.
0: <laughs> Reading through the book, there was one section I thought, no, I thought, thought this could be, get rewritten. It was about someone. It was a chapter two 12, taking on a tech killer. You've written here, there aren't many people on this planet who have arm-wrestled a booby-trap bomb and survived, but then Sergeant Michael Lillard is no ordinary soldier. I I think what you should have written is... Sergeant Michael Lillard is a fucking legend. You should have written that. Right. Well, we'll do
1: that in the, the reprint. Well, yeah. and, and I will, of course, <laughs> attribute it to
0: you. Because I'm sure that everyone in his unit would have thought that. That's quite a horrific story. He tried to disarm a bomb. It was designed not to be disarmed. Went off, didn't kill him, and he was able to pass the information on to everyone else so
1: they could disarm these bombs. Absolutely. And and to watch out for that little red button that you can buy in Dick Smith, according to him. And he's now, you know, he, he lost... I think one arm and part, most of the fingers in the other hand and one eye. He's now competing in... Special Olympics-type thing, the the Wounded Warriors Games. What was actually happening was he was trying to disarm a bomb and there was a little
0: pressure switch that you were describing there that was put somewhere specifically to get someone who was trying
1: to disarm the bomb. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. What he'd found was a Russian T-19 anti-vehicle mine, but it had been bodged up to a battery and a pressure plate, which was basically a bent-over saw blade and so when a vehicle went over it, it pressed, completed the circuit, and that would blow up the, the, the mine. The mine was designed to activate itself. That, years ago, that had gone. So they'd, they'd, they'd bodged up this, this mechanism. So the first thing he did was he found the battery and he put a little charge under the wires and blew that up and stood back and everything was fine. And then he very, very cautiously made his way to the, the landmine. And then he lay down... A classic you know as as textbook stuff lay down flat with his arms outstretched in front of him and took a little paintbrush that they all carry in the front of their uniform and he started brushing like um, archaeologists you see but they're dealing with a much more <laughs> dangerous <laughs> thing than a fossil and he, he did one quarter and then another quarter and then he got to, and then he found this little stone that just wouldn't move and he put the handle of the brush in and to flick it out and that was what triggered the anti tampering device which had been again added to the original Russian anti-tank mine, he was able to survive because of the training. The way the train was so flat. Yeah. In fact, the reason one of the reasons he was so badly injured was because it was so hot. He'd taken off his goggles and his helmet. You've probably seen the movie The Hurt
0: Locker. I was going to bring that up. I'm just wondering, did you get the opinion of any of the guys that have been in combat what they thought about that sort of movie?
1: I did, and they. They concur. Oh, what? They... they concur that it is fictional. <laughs> in fact, there's a famous scene in that where the, uh, the guy's in a kind of market square and he finds all these different leads to different IEDs and there's a local guy running down with a battery to connect to the wires and he carefully disarms each device one by one, and there's about eight of them. And it's a great movie, you know, it's this great tension. Will the guy with the battery get to the wires before he's... Mm. right? And I asked one of our guys how realistic that was, and he said, totally unrealistic. He said, look, he's pulled it up, it's like a spider's web of wires. He said, the chances of them having included a circuit that would come back if it was broken, and then fire the device, were so limited, you'd just get your wire snips out, and just snip snip, right. snip, 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 <laughs> which you take three seconds and would be not good movie making <laughs> pretty dull to be yeah, like yeah. snips out again yeah. It'd be like gardening <laughs> yes exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pruning the landmines
0: mm-hmm. it's a great book where can we find this online
1: tunnelratsvtaliban.com.au that's all one word yet yeah, is there's links there to all the places you can buy the book uh, you can buy it as a kindle you can buy it is, is it an, an audio book audio book it, it is an audio yes. book yes that's one of the rare pleasures i get as a writer i get to audition readers what kind of reader would you choose for a, a book like this Was it someone with a gritty voice what sort of person do you choose you choose somebody who is sounds authoritative and australian but not too ochre. one last question which
0: also leads back to the other book that you wrote There was two in Vietnam. One was Tunnel Rats and the other was the Sapper's War. I enjoyed Tunnel Rats. My dad's reading that at the moment. In the Vietnam, the American experience was to overcome most situations with overwhelming firepower. And I imagine that's also what the Americans did in Afghanistan. I believe so, yes. What was our trick up our sleeve? Because we didn't always have overwhelming firepower.
1: Our guys were mainly involved in creating a presence letting them know that we were there. I mean, One of the, the commanders said his job was to go out and create a, re- a relationship with the community and build stuff for them and chase the Taliban away, but he said that his message to the local community was, if you work with us, we'll help you. If you shoot at us, we will smash you so hard. And on the occasions when that was required, that's what they did. It was a a show of strength and they would go in and it would be the whole kicking down doors and all that stuff. But, you know, on on other occasions they would go in and say, look, we have to search these compounds because we believe there may be hidden arms or explosives here but if you could just take all the women into one room so that we're not offending your customs so it's not all that gung-ho stuff one of my favorite stories is the is the, is the one where they um they found this building where they they believed there was a lot of arms coming and going from this arm but they they checked it out and they couldn't really see anything and then one of them used his mind detector on the wall and got this amazing reading so they chipped down the wall and they found all these hidden rooms full of rockets and guns and grenades and ammunition and then they found a little notebook wrapped in a piece of women's underwear and the notebook had all the who got so much every week and yeah an amazing piece of information wrapped in a G string. Much better than a USB stick. (laughs) What should the
0: takeaway message be for people like myself who are certainly not on board with what we did against the war against terror completely and uh, feelings towards the soldiers because obviously with Vietnam you've got the the distance of time with yeah. this we haven't got the distance of time how should we feel about these people that went out there in our name and did this
1: well, somebody asked a very relevant question do you think we'll be going on a holiday to afghanistan the same way as we go to vietnam i think not there's a section that you pointed out at the back was it worth it where most of the people i interviewed asked them that question and there was one young guy it just absolutely blew me away with his response he said for 10 years that we've been there, or more, girls in Afghanistan have been being educated. You cannot uneducate those girls. They will carry that seed to their daughters and their granddaughters, and it might diminish and it might be suppressed for a while, but we have educated ten years' worth of girls in Afghanistan, and that has to change things from the inside. On mayna.com.au...